in chapter 9, Hebrews 9. We'll kind of camp out in Hebrews today mostly. We'll venture out a little bit, but uh, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. We are continuing in our series, Love Ran Red. And uh, last week, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane and the pressure that Jesus faced there, uh, but the fact that he ended up doing the will of God, that he was submissive to uh, the Father's plan, uh, although everything was ready to crush him and everything was crushing him. And, uh, and because he was crushed, you and I don't have to be. And the, and the freedom that we have because his love ran red uh, through the, the drops of blood in the garden and uh, ultimately on the cross as he died in our place. Uh, what an amazing picture. And uh, it's not the, uh, the standard Easter Palm Sunday sermon today. We're continuing in our series talking today uh, as love ran red in the, at the curtain, as the curtain and the temple was torn. And uh, you, you can draw some analogies if you want to. There was, there was blue and, and there was some crimson, uh, crimson thread inside of that, some red thread that uh, ran, right? The thread ran and, and pulled and, and tore. But uh, we're going to look at Christ's sacrifice. And, and the curtain was torn as he was on the cross. So we get to look at that today. Uh, Palm Sunday is, is a, great, a great celebration around the world today. People are celebrating Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? When they laid the palm branches down and said, Hosanna, he's our king. We're, we're welcoming him as a king. And, and, and we, we get the story and we understand that people wanted to receive him as king. But what he came to do was not to be a, a ruling king. He came to be the king of our hearts. And what people then ended up doing was rejecting him as the king of their hearts, the Lord of their hearts and their lives. And they crucified him instead. But all the while, as Jesus was riding in that donkey into Jerusalem, his intention on that Palm Sunday was to draw near to us. He knew that his trip into Jerusalem would lead to the cross and ultimately a place where he would draw near to us and let us then draw near to him. He made a way for us to draw near to him. And we'll be looking at that today uh, as, as he was on the cross and gave up, gave up his spirit Uh, We saw that, and we get to see today that the veil of the curtain, or the veil in the curtain that that was torn, was inside the temple, the tabernacle, and we're going to talk about what that meant today, and and what the impact of that is on our lives, Uh, what what it means that uh, when the veil was torn in the temple, all right? So let's pray, and we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 9, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful to, to focus our hearts and our minds on you, on the Lord Jesus, as, as we see and know that he rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey and people welcomed him, he did it so we could draw near to him. And although, God, they welcomed him as a ruler, they, they rejected him as the ruler and savior of their lives and they put him on the cross. But God, he willingly went there. He willingly sacrificed himself and we, we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you sacrificed yourself in our place, on our behalf, that we might come near to you and have a fixed and resolved relationship with the God of the universe. We ask today as we look at your word, you would give us guidance. You would open our, our eyes and our hearts to see what you'd like us to see. That we would be challenged and changed more and more into the image of the Son. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. All right, so we're in Hebrews chapter 9, and before we get into our, our four-point sermon, I want to give us some background of what was going on. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture, by the way. Um, I, really, I really have had a fun time uh, studying this. Uh, it's, it's very in- interesting. So we're going to look at Hebrews 9. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 8 together. It says, 
Now the first covenant, now let's stop there for a minute, right? Before Christ, there was an old covenant. Before Christ established a new covenant in his blood, there was an old covenant where priests would go into the temple on our behalf, and on the day of atonement, they would go into the most holy place. One, one priest would go into the most holy pray, place and, and offer that sacrifice on our behalf. That, that sacrifice would then cover our sin. And every year, he would continue to repeat this process, and that was the old covenant. We came in faith with our sacrifice, and the priest who had cleansed himself, purified himself, walked into the most holy place and, and offered that sacrifice to God, offered that blood to God uh, at the mercy seat, and the mercy seat saw it, and, and we were forgiven, and our, our sins were covered. But we came back year after year to continue to atone for sin. It was a tradition that came, uh, came every year and, and continued until Christ died on the cross. So it says, now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and, and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was set up. And in the first room, which is called the holy place, uh, where, where, the lamp stand, or, uh, where the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves. Behind the second curtain, the tabernacle uh, was called the holy of holies. It contained the gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in, uh, in which there was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of, of glory were above it, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. Verse 6, it says, These things have not, uh, have not been set up this, uh, this way. The priests enter the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, that is the Holy of Holies, uh, once per year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the Holy of Holies had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was standing. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. We see this this way we offer uh, our sacrifice and, and actually I didn't have a picture I could put up on the screen today but there was this this temple courtyard which had the brazen altar where they, they sacrificed the bull and then they went past the brazen altar Danny was singing about it just a minute ago right let's go into the holy of holies right so at, you go out in the court the courtyard and then you move into the actual tabernacle the building so the courtyard just fenced and then the tabernacle was a building that you would move into, uh, and, and the priests would do their ministry in and out of that place. They'd offer, uh, offer offerings uh, on our behalf. They would, uh, they would pray in that, in that place, and they would, uh, there, were, there were bread. That's where the loaves of bread were set up. And all of this was a foreshadow of who? Of Jesus, right? So the tabernacle, the temple, these sacrifices, all of these, the imagery within the temple was all a foreshadow of what Jesus would ultimately accomplish all on his own. Every little thing in there pointed to Jesus. And then past that, the, the, the holy place was the most holy place. And so this, this area was 15 by 45, the room size was. And you walk in, the first 30 feet was the, was the holy place, where it had the altar with the, the bread on it, right, and the incense, and, and it was offered prayers there. And then past that, there was a veil separating that and the holy of holies. And only one priest, the high priest, could go in there once per year. Because that was where God resided. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The mercy seat was there. That's where we offered the blood. That's where God's presence resided. And inside the, inside the Ark of the Covenant, we saw and we see the, the jar full of manna, right, from how God provided in the desert. We see Aaron's rod that had budded. And finally, we see the tablets of the Ten Commandments that are inside of this, this uh, Ark of the Covenant. But this is the place that God Resides. It's the place where the priest was able to draw near to God on our behalf. 
Only once per year, but it had to be done every year because it was insufficient. <clears throat> Not that it was wrong, right? As, as God has given us this way to worship him and to connect with him and to repent of our sin, that's, that's the old covenant way that God established. It wasn't wrong. God established it, but it was a foreshadow. It was earthly while God is heavenly. It was a foreshadow of things to come, namely Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is jump ahead now to, to chapter 10 of Hebrews. If you would move there with me, chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and then we'll jump down to 11. So the old covenant had this earthly sanctuary with divine pictures and symbols, but it was earthly and it was temporary. It never provided true access for us to God. So look at Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4. So since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the actual form of these realities, it can never, uh, it can never, per, uh, sorry, it, it can never per perfect the worshipers uh, by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. So what it's saying there is that the law is a shadow. It's, it's of the good things to come. It's, it's, so it's imperfect in, in ways. And the way it was imperfect is the, the atonement that was offered year after year could not cleanse completely of sin. It would cover the sin, but you'd have to come back year after year after year as the sins continued, and you'd come back in faith. It wasn't something that was once and done. The, the sacrifices they continually offered were year after year. Number, verse 2 goes on, it says, Otherwise they would have stopped being offered, since the worshipers, once purified, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in, but in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. It's reminding them, you are sinful, you are sinful, you are sinful, you need a Savior. In verse 4 it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, how are we doing it? Well, because it was an image of what was to come. It was a faith and trust in what was to come. And those bulls and goats couldn't take away sins, but the blood of those bulls and goats could cover those sins of that year. So what came next? Let's go down to verse 11. Now every priest stands day after day ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, that is Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Amen? And here, here's the imagery. The priest would offer their sacrifices. They would do their duty, and they would not sit down and rest. They would stay standing because their duty was never complete. But when Jesus offered the sacrifice, he did it once and for all. And then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God said, it's finished, it's done. Sins have been atoned for completely. They are now removed. The sacrifice by the priest could atone for sin by covering them, but again, it was not a permanent sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice offered a permanent removal of sin, taking our sins away and setting us apart as a people of God. Now, I want to keep your, your finger here at Hebrews 10 and go ahead and flip back uh, to Luke 23. Luke 23. It's New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to see Luke 23. Luke 23, and then we will be uh, looking at verse uh, 44. 44 through 47 says this. This is when Jesus is on the cross, right? He's being crucified. It says it was about noon, 
And darkness came over the whole land until three, for three hours, right? Because the sun's light failed. A, a miraculous thing happened there, a sign from God. The next part of that verse says, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. Matthew's version says it was, it was torn from top to bottom. In verse 46, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. In verse 47, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began to glorify God, saying, and here's what he said, this man really was righteous. This man really was righteous. All along, these temple sacrifices, what people are looking for was a righteousness outside of themselves. They knew they couldn't be good enough. We know we can't be good enough. They're looking for a God who has grace and will forgive us based on a sacrifice provided. The old covenant said, here's the bull, here's the lamb, here's my sacrifice, my blood offering, and it was covered. Your sin was covered. By Christ, when Christ came, when Christ died, when Christ gave up his spirit, the temple, the veil in the temple was, was torn in two from top to bottom, giving us full access to God, and he said, it is finished. And that centurion who said, this man was surely righteous, indicating and showing us that, that through Christ's righteousness alone can we have full access. Through Christ's righteousness alone can we have full forgiveness of sin. Can our sins be taken totally from us and removed? See, not just covered, like, okay, we'll, we'll cover your sins. We'll hide them. Jesus doesn't, doesn't hide our sin. He takes our sin, removes it from us, buries it on the bottom of the ocean floor. Scripture says he separates it as far as the east is from the west from us. It's infinitely gone away from us. And then he clothes us with his righteousness, his perfection. That's what he offers. See, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was not just enough to cover. It was enough to completely wipe out sin once and for all and to give us a righteousness, a perfection, a purity that was nowhere near anything we could ever accomplish. Christ did that. And Christ gave us an access to himself because he did that. Christ became our sacrificial lamb, and the veil was torn. So the question now is, in our sermon today is, what does that mean? What, is, what does that mean for us? That the veil in the temple was torn, that the curtain, that that scarlet thread ripped down, and that, that curtain was torn in half. What does that mean for you and I? Well, let's look. Number one, it means that we can boldly draw near to God in faith. We can boldly draw near to God in faith. We don't have to stand on the sidelines anymore and let a high priest do it on our behalf. I'm not going to enter into the holy place on your behalf. I'm going there for me. And you can go there for you. We can boldly draw near to God. We're in chapter 10 still. Jump down to verse 19 with me. Let's look at verse 19 through 22. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness, Boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. He has opened up through, uh, for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and our hearts sprinkled clean from, from evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Again, there's a lot of analogy going on here, a lot of symbolism to what was in the temple. But, but what, what this writer of Hebrews is saying is that you and I, because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, and because the veil was torn, can now boldly enter the sanctuary of God because of the blood of Christ. We can have access boldly drawing near to him by a new and living way. And here's what that means, that new and living way. The word new in this case actually means like a fresh, 
a fresh sacrifice. It's kind of morbid, isn't it? It's like, oh, you're bringing the, the fresh sacrifice here, not, not an old, stale one. Jesus was our new, fresh sacrifice. And it said a new, and then it said living way. Well, why did it say living way? Sacrifices die, right? Sacrifices are, are killed on our behalf so we could be atoned for. Well, Jesus was killed, but what happened? Next week, we get to celebrate it, and we celebrate it every Sunday. He rose from the dead, amen? Jesus did not stay dead. He was a new and fresh sacrifice, an unblemished lamb who laid himself on that tree and that cross so that you and I could be healed. And dead, death could not hold him because he is God. And he rose from the grave, conquering death once and for all. And that gives us a boldness that we can draw near to him in faith. Uh, I'm going to read a scripture out of chapter 4 of Hebrews. In 4.14 it says, Therefore, since we have this great high priest, that is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast, hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet he is without sin. So Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb, because he was perfect. He was without sin. But he was tempted and tested in the ways we were. And verse 16 says this, Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help at our proper time. Because the curtain was torn, you and I can approach the mercy seat of Jesus with boldness and confidence, knowing that he has atoned for our sins and our sins have been removed. Now listen, you know a, a new puppy, when they're learning things and you're, you're trying to potty train them and tell them to sit and tell them this is the boundary and don't chew that and don't eat that and don't lick that. You know the new puppy, when they do something like that and you look at them, what do they do? Right? They're a sad puppy. They're, oh, you know that sad puppy look? It's like, oh no, I, 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 my, my owner's not pleased with me. And of course there are some breeds that are just so willing to please and so want to please their owner, right? Their, their master. And when they mess up, it is just, they are a sad pup. They come just kind of just dragging humbly to their, to their owner. We are not to do that with Jesus. We do because we're, we're humbled by our own sin. We can look at us, ourselves in the mirror and we can come face to face with the reality that I'm not, I'm not very good. I'm a messed up person. And see, for centuries that was being done, that they would come to the altar with their gifts, they would come to the, the tabernacle and give their sacrifice to the priest, and because they were messed up, they did it in that shameful, humble way, in humility, saying, here's my offering, I'm offering to you as the sacrifice in humility, because I am so bad, I'm a sad puppy. For you and I, Christ has paid it all. The work has been finished and complete. You and I, as we trust and receive Christ as Savior, when we believe the gospel, it is finished and we are set apart. And God says, now guess what? You don't have to humbly come before me as this sad puppy. You've already done that. Now you come before me with boldness because you know my mercy is so great. And, and the more bold you are and confident you are in the faith that you have in Jesus, the more exalted he is. Do you understand that? It, it seems weird, like we need to be humble. We do. We need to be humble and meek people. But in, when we are face-to-face -face with Jesus, he's wiped our sins away. If we have believed the gospel in, in humility, he's taken care of it. That sacrifice has been paid. 
And as we go confidently before his throne, it exalts him even more. Because that's how great his mercy is, is that we can come before his throne of grace with confidence and boldness. You and I, because the curtain was torn, can draw near to God with confidence. We don't need to continue talking about the consequences of your sin and how bad you are and what punishment there is now. You know the consequences of your sin. Jesus paid for them. Are there, are there consequences today as I continue to sin in my life? Well, sure there are. There's, there's baggage and there's scars and there's things that are going to happen to me. And I don't want that. I want to live in a new way that shows Christ. But when I'm in front of my Savior, I have confidence in his mercy because of what he's done on the cross and what he's finished. And you and I can boldly go before God, even in the middle of our sin that we still commit. Because that sin has been removed by Jesus, by his blood. You and I have confidence and can boldly draw near in faith to God who is faithful. Number two, the tearing of the curtain means that Jesus' sacrifice alone removes guilt. In, in Hebrews 10, we're going to go back there again. Uh, look, at, look at the verses, uh, what is it? 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We just talked about that. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Now, there was a basin there for the priests to wash their hands in and clean because they made a lot of sacrifices. There was a lot of blood, right? There's a lot of blood being sprinkled as an atonement for sin. So this, this symbolism is of the sprinkling and the washing. And, and here's really what it is. A, a sincere faith, we approach Christ with a sincere faith because no one else could accomplish what he accomplished. But it has the full assurance in the Son of God to cleanse the depth of our heart, the sprinkling, right? Cleanse the depth of our heart, changing the root. So Christ cleanses our heart, changing the root. And then he washes our body, changing our fruit. Get that picture now. Because fruit is produced from the root, amen? And when Jesus changes my heart, the root changes. And if the root changes, what's going to change next? The fruit is going to change. And that's the experience we see with Christ. When he changes our heart, he grabs our, our heart made of stone, our, hum, our, our stubborn heart. He yanks that out and he puts, puts a new heart inside of us, a heart of flesh, a humble heart, a gentle heart, a heart that is his heart. He changes us. He puts his new spirit in us and his spirit produces fruit. So the root inside of us changes and then we start to produce a fruit. See, Jesus' sacrifice alone removes the guilt. Why? Because he moves in and takes it away. And when the temple, the veil in the temple was torn, he said, no more. No more sacrifices. No more high priests needed. I am your high priest and it's done. Now go produce fruit. Stop worrying about the sacrifice. It's done. Go produce fruit. Stop worrying about the sacrifice. I finished it. I put a new heart in you. I gave you a new heart. I not only cleansed you, I removed it all from you and clothed you in my righteousness. Now, now go produce fruit. Go be the image bearer of Jesus that you and I are commanded to be. Jesus' sacrifice alone removes guilt. And we see that in Matthew's version of this, it said suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. And it was a very, it was a 15 foot high piece of linen, right? It wasn't this, this man didn't go in there and just kind of rip it, right? He didn't try to get a stool in there. You don't bring anything else into the, 
into places like that. You don't bring them in. It was torn from top to bottom because only God could tear it from top to bottom. Only God could finish it. And only Jesus' sacrifice alone can remove the guilt. Number three, because the curtain was torn, we can trust and hope in his faithfulness. Let's look at verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Listen, holding on to our hope. See, when G- and isn't it hope? It's great hope. It wasn't much hope year after year. I'd come to, the, come to the Day of Atonement, take care of my sins. And we learned in Nehemiah, after the Day of Atonement, was like this week-long party of just celebration. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for covering my sins. I'll see you next year because I'm a busy guy, right? I'm a busy guy. I'm a busy, I'm a busy sinner. But they would, they would celebrate after the Day of Atonement. They would celebrate and be happy and be glad and rejoice that God had forgiven them of their sin. But when Christ came, when, when Christ's death made that access to him clear and, and, and we could come right up to him with boldness and we could draw near to God, there was a hope that said, I can, I can now celebrate every day and every year because he, what he has done has finished it. And I have a hope that I hold on to, and that hope is Jesus Christ himself, to who, for he who, he who promised is faithful. He was the one who made the promise. He was the one who made the sacrifice. And we can trust in a faithful God and put our hope in him. So holding on to our hope is not something we do to keep our salvation. It's not up to us to hold on as tight as we can, and if we let go, oh, we're done. Try again tomorrow. We are, we are exhorted and encouraged. You have a hope. Hold on to it. Embrace it. Fly with it. Go with it. It's, it's yours. That Christ has given you because of his death and his resurrection. We don't hold on to our hope to keep our salvation. Holding on to our hope is an evidence that we are saved. Rescued by God. And that we have a continual hope in the Son. Because when he died, he finished what we could not finish. And we can trust and hope in his faithfulness. Finally, number four, because the curtain was torn, we can love and serve one another. We can love and serve one another. Uh, jump down to verse 24. Read 24 and 25. It says, and let, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings, church gathering, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In the cross, Christ has set us free from the old covenant. He set us free. We don't have to keep going back year after year. He set us and, and listen, when you're, when you're a slave to the old covenant, you are continually worried about yourself. You're continually checking up, making that list. What did I do wrong today? What did I do wrong? I've got to make sure that's atoned for. What did I do wrong? What? You're continually focused on you. Because it's so imperative that you get your sins covered on the day of atonement by the high priest. But because we have a great high priest who has finished and finalized the day of atonement, you and I, we don't have to worry about me anymore. Because it is finished. Amen? I don't have to continue to worry about it. 
and fret over that. And if I don't have to continue to worry and fret about it, and if Christ has set me free, he has set me free then to serve and love others. To serve and love others. To focus on one another. That's our task today, that we would, we would have the roots changed and the fruit would change. And as we go, we would look like Jesus and not have to worry about our atonement because it's finished and we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. And then you and I can focus on serving and loving one another. And I know it's so hard to do that. It's so easy to think about self. What do I need? How do I need to change? I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. You and I, who have put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, who have believed the gospel and are saved, have nothing more to worry about as far as measuring up. He did it all for us. And if we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, you should be able to approach your mirror in the morning with confidence. Not believing a lie that God says, or that Satan says, you're unworthy, but believing the promise of God. You were unworthy, but I made you worthy. Now let's go out and love somebody today. See, that's what Jesus is calling us to do, is to love one another. And we can focus on each other because of what he has done for us. Go ahead and turn, uh, we're done with Hebrews. Turn to 1 John. It, it's after Hebrews, a few books. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. <coughs> so we're at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 16 through 19. Verse 16 says this, it says, And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Okay, stop there. I can claim that for me. I pray that you can claim that for you, that you can say that I have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see, this love that was exhibited on the cross as his love ran red and poured out for us, his, lo his love that was exhibited through the, through the cross as the, as the scarlet thread in the curtain was torn and the, tor and the veil was uh, torn in two, giving us access to God, showing us the full love of God. You and I should be able to say that, that we have come to know and believe the love of God. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. Verse 17, in this way, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. Jesus has given us his righteousness, so we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Let's look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And I told you a while ago, we don't approach God expecting to be punished anymore. We, express, we, we approach God because, with confidence and boldness because he has forgiven us. And the punishment has been put upon himself. So that the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. This idea that the one who fears doesn't understand and know God. Doesn't know his love. If we fear, we don't really know and believe in the love of God. And verse 19 says this, we love, not fear, we don't fear, we love because he first loved us. You see, you and I are free to love, we are free to serve because Jesus first loved us. And that's the depth of his message. 
It's taken care of. It's finished. Now go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go love one another towards the gospel every day. And Romans 13, 8 says this. It says, do not owe anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What's required of you? Love. Love one another. And, and we can only do it because Christ did it on the cross first. Because he first loved us. We are free to love. Letting go of our hold on legalism, on tradition, frees us up to really love, to really serve, to really fellowship with others from the heart as led by God's Spirit. The curtain being torn simply says this. The door is open. The way is made available to enter into God's presence. And he invites you to come in and to stay and to fellowship with his people and to enjoy him forever. Amen. God's love certainly ran red. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we, we are so, so grateful for the confidence that we can have because of Jesus Christ. That because his love ran red and he poured himself out on that cross, he offered a way that was finished, that our sins are completely atoned for and completely removed through our faith and belief in Jesus Christ and the redemption he offers. God, help us to daily set aside fear and anxiety even a false sense of humility, God, that we would approach the throne of grace with confidence, exalting Christ more and more because of who he is and what he's done. May we draw near and nearer and nearer to you because the veil has been torn. We are grateful for your life. We're grateful for your love and for what you've done. Help us draw near. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.